everybody. So glad that you are here, whether you're in the live venue or whether you're next door in the communion venue or whether you're online, however it is that you're here. Really, really glad that you're here. So I want to introduce to you our speaker, but I'll do so by telling a story. Many of you will remember about a year ago when uh, the outpouring of the Spirit was taking place up in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary. And I had my good friend, J.D. Walt, who came and brought uh, firsthand testimony of just all that was going on. It was a very powerful morning here. And well, in any event, J.D. has a conference every year. There's about, they, this past year, they did it in, uh, in the Woodlands. They usually do it in Nashville. But so there, uh, Justin Teague and I, we decided, well, let's go up. And there's about 3,000 people there. And during one of the breaks, we were sitting out in the lobby in, in some chairs, and a little cluster of church planters walked in who I knew. And they're like, Pastor Ken. And they all came over, and we started connecting. And, and I was like, I know you, I know you, I know you, I, I don't know you. And he says, well, my name is Jared Darby. I was like, well, are you planting? Yes, I am planting uh, down in the Garden Oaks area, a new church. So well, where do you come from? He says, well, I've been in the Southeast for 13 years doing ministry. And, uh, but this is actually home. My parents are pastors. And so I grew up uh, actually here. And I just felt like God said, it's time to go home and to start a new work downtown. Um, here in Houston. I was like, that's fantastic. So we, we keep talking, become friends, and, and he tells me various places that he's preached, uh, several of which I knew, and one's a, one of my pastor friends over the Southeast. So I called the pastor and I said, is he good? And <laughs> he said, he's good. And but I already knew that because actually we'd come back and we'd pulled some video down and, and watched him. And, and uh, so a couple of months ago, I called and, and I said, um, hey, how about you come preach at Faith Bridge? And he said, I would love to. And I said, okay, so we're going to do this series on sort of spiritual disciplines, resolutions. Why don't you preach on prayer? He said, I would love to. And so, oh, I didn't tell you one more thing. He's married, has two little kiddos, two and five. And uh, with that background, I'm going to introduce, please welcome Jared Darby to Faith Bridge. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, really quick, anybody excited to be at church this morning? Come on, can we just make some noise? Come on. Love it. Uh, that actually helps me a ton because I didn't know why he asked me to preach. So uh, <laughs> I know this is church, so y'all think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, I had never heard that part of the story. So I was like, how do you know I can preach? Uh, okay. This is kind of weird. But anyway, um, I, I know you know this already, but I'm so thankful for Pastor Ken. I know you guys have to know how incredible uh, your pastor is. Uh, just last week, he called me up and was like, let's get breakfast. And if you know Pastor Ken, you know that means we're going to be at first watch, okay? Um, and I sit down and I'm, I'm, I'm going through a lot. Church planting is, is just a lot on your, your mental and on your spiritual. And uh, he orders a kale tonic. And I was like, but Pastor Ken, it hadn't been that hard of a week. Um, 
but he was like, no, it's vegetables. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm really, really thankful for your pastor and for this place. I'm excited to be with you guys. If it's okay with you, I'm going to jump right into the word. Uh, I really feel like the Lord's been speaking something specific to me. And can we just get past the formalities and, and go ahead and be family for a second this morning? Because uh, I got a lot to preach and I'm just passionate. I feel like God is speaking something to uh, the church in general. I'm hearing this pop up everywhere and I'm passionate about this. Uh, I want to talk about prayer um, this morning. Uh, like, like he said, I'm, I'm from Houston. This is home for me. And um, I grew up in Missouri City, Sugarland area. And uh, I love it. Houston's special, okay? It, it's, it's special. It's specific. Anybody else know how, like, just deeply loyal Houston people are to Houston? You know, like, Houston people love even the bad. Look, y'all are clapping. All, we're not even talking about Jesus. <laughs> But like Houston people are loyal to Houston. Even the bad parts about Houston, we're like, yeah, we love it. It's awesome. Like, you know how when you go to the eastern part of the United States and you're coming back and you pass through like Beaumont and then you hit the refineries, you know, um, most people smell that smell and they go, this is horrible. Houston people are like, no, nah, it's incredible. Like, <laughs> smells like home. You look at the trash on the side of the road, like on the east side of downtown, and most people are like, oh, we could do something about that. Houston people are like, no, don't touch it. It's culture. But I love, I love Houston. I love our city. God called us to plant in downtown. And we've been meeting there and praying for the last 21 days our church plant has. And God has been doing some incredible things. And, and out of that, I really want to share a message on prayer. So what better place to start than to look at Jesus' words himself? It's in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 6. And we see a similar account of what we now call the Lord's prayer. And I want us to look at this and allow it to be our guide this, this morning. So let's look at it. It's in Luke chapter 11. And before we look at the actual Lord's prayer, I want to give you a little bit of context about what's happening around when Jesus gave the disciples the Lord's prayer. So let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse one, and then we'll, we'll start from here. It says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, you know, this line, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the question. The disciple looks at Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, would, would you teach us to pray? I love that because what we know happens right after this is that Jesus gives us the Our Father, right? The Lord's Prayer. Even if you're not a Christian, you know it. Say it with me in the monotone voice everybody uses at church. One, two, three. Our Father. Which, okay, you can stop. But that, that's, that's, the, that's the Lord. This is the response to a question. The question is, teach us to pray. The response is, here, here you go. But let's go back and look at the context of what's actually happening. Because some people say, like, this is, this is Jesus's blueprint, outline, how to pray. But I think there's more to it than that. Because when we look at the context, we realize that the, the disciples are asking Jesus to give them some insight. They're not asking for a, a theological, exegetical outline of what prayer is supposed to be. I don't know. They're saying something so much deeper. These were good, proper Jewish boys, which meant they were a part of one of the most devout religions of that day. It's safe to say these guys knew how to pray. They knew how to pray. They weren't saying, Jesus, show us the theological, supernatural reasons of why to pray. No, no, no. They were saying, Jesus, why do our prayers feel a little bit empty? 
but your prayers drive out demons? Like, why do, why do our prayers seem to go unanswered, but your prayers raise the dead? Like, something's different here between our prayers and your prayers. No, they weren't asking Jesus how prayer works. They were asking Jesus, how do his prayers work? I think if we're honest in the room this morning, we've asked similar questions. Yeah, yeah, I'm praying, I'm doing my best, I'm, I'm trying to figure this prayer thing out, but oftentimes it just feels like I'm, I'm just shouting a, a free couple of words up to the sky. I don't know really if anybody's listening. Matthew 7, 7 says, knock and the door shall be open unto you. Well, God, I've been knocking and, and it seems like nobody's there. Anybody ever feel like our prayers go unanswered? And then when, when we encounter a little bit of a little bit of tension and our prayers don't feel like they're working, we normally just kind of peel it back to the bare minimum. We do our best to pray once we get in the bed. You know what I'm talking Like the quick, like, Lord, I love you, right? And then we, we bless our food, right? Anybody know somebody really passionate about blessing their food? Like it doesn't matter when it is. You're in a line for like a Sam's Club sample and they're like blessing the pizza roll. <laughs> and you're like, listen, I just want a quick snack. You gotta get out of the way. We kind of we relegate our prayers to, to right before we go to bed or maybe, maybe right before we eat. And then if we're really honest and we take account for why we don't pray as vigorously as we think we should, oftentimes it's because we don't think it's going to work. Like, let's just say it. I know we're at church, so we can't really say uh, honest things. Sometimes we have to act like we're really spiritual, but let's be real. Let's be real. Oftentimes we don't pray because we don't think it works. We've seen a prayer come up unanswered. We've watched people who we've prayed for still deal with cancer. We've watched our kids that we've prayed for for years and years and years not come back to Jesus. And we've seen the friends that, that are still lost and we've been praying for them. And we're going, Lord, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't really know if my prayers are successful. My question to you this morning is how do you know? How do you know what a successful prayer is? is? Is the result of a successful prayer a successful outcome? And who gets to determine that outcome? My question today is, what is the purpose of prayer? As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, that's a simple title for this morning. The purpose of prayer. Let's pray. God, we love you. Allow your words to illuminate the spaces in our heart that need to look more like the way of Jesus. We love you. I pray for a passionate indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Show up and anoint these few moments that we have together. Father, we love you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, quick question. Anybody else besides me feel like technology and cell phones make you feel older by the minute? Like anybody, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like seriously, uh, my, my daughter is, is three years old. She still has to wear a pull-up at night because she pees in the bed, so she wears the pull-up. Um, but if you give her an FBI data-encrypted iPad, she could download Disney Plus and watch Frozen, I promise. <laughs> and it's confusing because I'm like, you still pee your pants. <laughs> How does this work? And then every generation kind of has their own etiquette around uh, communication, even with iPhones or not with iPhones. Like my mom is really passionate about sending greeting cards for your birthday. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and, and, and in my thought, I'm a millennial, so I'm like, mom, if there's not money in it, save the money on the greeting card and just call me. 
And if there is money in it, don't send a check. I'm, I'm in my 30s. I don't do checks. Like, just Venmo it. <laughs> Put the happy birthday hat on it. You know, just send it. You know? And then if you're old school, you know, you, you, you love a phone call. You know, like, if you're old school, you have really hard opinions about how youngins should act. And, you know, like, you ought to call me. Don't text me. You know, like, because you got to wear your glasses like this. to see, You know what I mean? You're like, no offense. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. I'm sorry. But, you know, you're like, you're like no, you got to call me. Acting like it's all, like, honor. No, you just can't see the word. Stop it. <laughs> He's never going to invite me back. But I'm just, no, look, look. I'm just saying, they're really passionate about it. Like, you got to call me. Uh, and then if you're a millennial, you're like, no, 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 don't call me. If you have time to talk, you have time to text. Don't call me. <laughs> just send it, right? But then Gen Z, as they do with everything, took a, a giant step forward and a giant step back all at the same time. They're like, no, 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 we want you to FaceTime us. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, for me, my first experience with FaceTime was, anybody remember Skype? You remember Skype? So when I got FaceTime, I was like, oh, cool. It's just Skype for your phone. This is awesome. Okay, great. I can do it. But if you remember going back in the day, you didn't Skype your dude friends. You know what I mean? Like you Skyped the girl that you thought was cute, but she lived in like Michigan and your friends thought she was fake. And you're like, no, look, she's real. You know, that's when you Skyped. Um, so, so when I remember a kid I, that I was discipling, he FaceTimed me for the first time and I was freaked out. I was like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't FaceTime. But just so you know, PSA, anybody can FaceTime anybody. It's totally okay. Just so you know, okay. But everybody communicates differently. But the one communication pathway that we all hate, no matter what generation that you're in is voicemail. No one uses voicemail anymore. Can I get an amen? amen. Don't leave a voice. We're not going to check it. Okay, like whoever you are, these days we want communication to happen quickly. I want you to know that I got the message and I want you, I want, I want to know that you got the message and I want to know that you're receiving the thing I'm trying to communicate to you. Blame it on culture, blame it, blame it on our, our, our incessant desire to receive communication quickly, whatever you want to call it. I feel like oftentimes the way that we communicate to each other seeps into our communication expectations between ourselves and God. It's almost like, you, do you ever feel like your prayers just go straight to God's voicemail? I don't know if you got it, but I'm going to throw it up there just in case. Lord, are you listening? Is anybody, is anybody there? I could use a FaceTime right now, Lord, you know? But, but whatever the cause is, I feel like we, we Im impose our ability to communicate between each other. And we say, you know what? That's supposed to be how it looks between me and God. And then those prayers that, that don't get immediately answered in the way that we want them to be answered, we, we decide, you know what? Maybe he's, just, maybe he's just not answering today. Maybe he didn't check the prayers that I sent. And, and then all of a sudden, I would guess that we begin to feel a little bit discouraged. I think if we look at Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter six, the disciples probably felt a similar way. That's why they're asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray the type of prayers that get answered. Because somehow yours do. And I need a little bit of context. I need some help. And then here's Jesus's response. Matthew six, verse nine says this. When you pray, pray like this. 
or pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy, or your name is incredible, it's great. That's what he's saying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? Give us this day our daily and forgive us our debts. Or if you're old school King James Version, what do you say? Forgive us our what? Trespass. Nobody says trespass anymore, right? As we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus says, here you go. Like, here's the secret. Pray like this. He's giving us, he's giving the, giving us the form of what we're supposed to pray like. But have you ever heard anybody use the term form follows function? Like the idea in that comes from an architect named Lewis Williams. And, and really his, uh, his point was that the, the design of a building should follow the purpose of that building, right? And now we use that in, in, in so many different ways. But Jesus actually was the first one to say it because he said everything first. Amen. Um, but he's given us the form of prayer so we can understand the function of prayer. Prayer has multiple movements and Jesus is showing us the, the movements so that we can begin to realize the purpose of prayer. A few verses earlier, Jesus gives us the why or at least gives us a little bit of insight into the why. It's in Matthew chapter six, verse five. It says, and when you pray, look, he's saying, so when you do this, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so they can be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward, right? He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret or who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. Or in other words, Jesus is saying, consider the purpose. It's not just a box to check. You don't do this in front of people so that they think you're holy. You don't do this just because you go to church and everybody says you should pray. He says, no, that there, there's, there's something so much deeper. When you pray, when you engage in prayer, what you're doing is you're communicating with a holy God. He's saying, no, there's something, there's something more to prayer. There's a wonder to it. There's a mysticism to it. Like you are communicating with the supernatural. It's not just blessing your Chipotle. Like it's so much deeper than this. He's saying, no, like Jesus is trying to communicate the heart. First part of the prayer says this, our father who is where? He says, our father who is in heaven, or in other words, turn your eyes upwards first. We understand that this is where we begin. There's a wonder, there's a mysticism. It's supernatural. But if you're going to get this correct, the first thing you're going to have to do is turn your eyes to heaven. If you're taking notes, the first movement in the form of prayer is perspective. We could spend an entire year talking about the Lord's Prayer, but I love this, this first beginning thought that if you're going to pray, the first place you have to start is with the Father. Our Father who is in heaven, or in other words, your perspective has to shift from what's on earth to what is in heaven. When we moved from Alabama to Houston, uh, it, was, it was a beautiful homecoming. My parents are here. We get to see family. 
a lot. I love my friends and the people that are here. Uh, but the move was difficult, at least for one of us in the family, namely my five-year-old son. And not for any reason that normal people have, like I miss my friends or I like the weather. No, no, no. He really misses the fact that he used to have a trampoline in the backyard. Because now we're living in a, in a townhome with no, anybody know those townhomes like the turf backyard and it's only like big enough to walk like this. You know what I mean? Like that's my backyard. So, so my son is really sad and he misses his trampoline. So he walks in the other day and he says, daddy. I said, yes, son. He says, I got to tell you something that's going to make you really sad. I'm like horrible way to begin a conversation. <laughs> I got to teach you some, some communication skills. Um, but he's like, dad, I, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to tell you this, but you have to promise not to be mad. And I was like, okay, son. Totally fine, Daddy's not going to be mad. Tell me what you have to tell me. And he starts crying. And he says, I miss my trampoline. <laughs> As a father, that breaks you, you know? Because he didn't choose to move to Houston. We made a sacrifice, and, and he, didn't get a, he didn't get a say in it. He just had to come. And if I were to leave the decision up to my son... I promise you, we wouldn't have left Alabama, not because he enjoyed the people or the weather, but because he loved his trampoline. But what kind of father would I be if I allowed the perspective of my five-year-old to impact the calling on our family? I think oftentimes in our relationship with God, we communicate our prayers so passionately to him, but we don't see from his vantage point. That's why the first movement in in prayer is do your best to alter your perspective. When your focus is, is on what's happening around you, you miss oftentimes the opportunity to see God at work in your life. When you understand that the, the, the first form of prayer is perspective, what you begin to realize is that your prayers have to find their foundation in the kingdom instead of your circumstance. Like, like this, this life matters, and I'm not telling you to stop praying for things happening on earth. As a matter of fact, we're about to get to that. That's incredibly important. But what I am saying is, is that if the foundation of your prayers begin only with what you see around you, you're going to ultimately miss the kingdom that you belong to. Perspective. Perspective. Here's the second movement of prayer. Persuasion. Persuasion. Matthew 6, verse 11 through 13 says this. It says, give us this day our daily what? Bread. And we're not just talking about what you eat here. He's talking about provision. So he's asking God to give provision, something that only he can give. One of God's names in the Old Testament was Jehovah Jireh, or the God who what? Provides. This is Jesus calling on that same God. And he asks him to forgive our debts, something that only God can do, forgive us of our, of our sins. Some people call this, this part of the prayer petition. We're asking God to do some things when before we were asking God to show us some things. Some people call this, again, some people say that this is petition. The idea here is that, is that prayer does move the heart of God. Like once our perspective is in order, once we've shifted our eyes upward and put on the lenses of the kingdom, now we can look around and see the spaces in our life that do actually need that kingdom to come. That's why you said, may your kingdom come. Now that those, those lenses are on, I can look around and see the world and be like, nope, it's missing the kingdom. God, bring kingdom here. 
Sickness is not, your, is not your plan. God, bring your kingdom here. Poverty is not your plan. God, bring your kingdom here. Strife, disunity is not your, not your plan. God, bring your kingdom here. Persuasion. We're asking, we're asking God to do something. But sometimes we lose faith in God being able to do certain things like this because we, we believe the preachers when they start to preach about the fact that God never changes. You ever hear that? Like God doesn't, God doesn't change. He stays the same yesterday and forever, so he can't change his mind. And what they're talking about is this concept that theologians call the, the immutability of God. Or in other words, his character doesn't change. He is the same yesterday and forever. But just because God is immutable doesn't mean he doesn't change, at least his mind. Our prayers can, if you've never heard this, and we can engage in a, in a theological discussion outside if you'd like to. I love it. It's my favorite. Okay, but God does change his mind. Our prayers do move him to act. I love this thought that the sovereignty of God is not a reason to quit praying. It's a reason to pray harder. Because if God actually is in control, when he wants to move his hand, guess who gets to decide that? God. Why? Because he's sovereign. Y yes, his character doesn't change, but his mind does. I'll show you in scripture, Exodus chapter 31, there, there, there's Moses going up to the Mount uh, called Sinai and he's receiving a word from the Lord and he stays there too long. The Bible says, because the Israelites get to start, start becoming a little bit impatient and they go, well, where is Moses? He's not coming back. So they make a golden calf and begin to worship it. God gets so mad, he decides, you know what? I'm gonna wipe them all out. They're done. And then what does Moses do in Exodus 32? He prays to God, no, 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 please, Lord. Hold on, hang on, hang on. Don't do it. Please don't do it, have mercy. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, it says this, then the Lord relented. And he did not bring on the people the disaster that he had threatened. The Hebrew word here for relented is neham. It also is the Hebrew word for repent, but not repent from sin, but it simply means to, to revolve or to turn around. So the idea here, Nahum, is that he begins to change his mind. He was going to do a thing, but because of the heart that the father has for his kids, he saw it, changed his heart and said, you know what? Okay. Now that doesn't mean that he always does that. Because we know people die every single day, even though we raised up prayers. We know that, that hardships happen every single day, even though we're praying about them. We know that lost people exist in our, in our city, even though we, pray. we understand that, but that doesn't mean we stop praying. Because guess what? I've also seen people heal from cancer. I've also seen people who are at the footsteps of the grave be brought back. I've also seen lost people who are thought were so lost they'd never come back home, find hope in Jesus. No, no, no. If God is sovereign, we don't stop praying. Come on. Somebody has to know that if God is sovereign, we got to keep praying. I forgot. Y'all used to be Methodist. Y'all don't clap. You're supposed to clap right there. It's okay. <laughs> come on. Like, 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 where is the passion for the presence for the presence of God. I hear people talk like this all the time. They're like, yo, our world's getting worse. Everywhere I look, the world's getting worse. I feel bad for people having kids right now. 
because it's just getting dark. What they're teaching in the schools is horrible. What they're doing. When did we start fearing the enemy more than we started praying to our father? Oh, the world's election cycle's coming. And I know who sits on the throne. Oh, America's going to hell in a handbasket. And I serve the king of heaven. Like, when did we choose fear instead of prayer? But I wonder if we're missing the purpose of prayer. So we allow fear to drive. But can I tell y'all, if the world's getting so bad, we shouldn't get scared. We should pray more fervent. Our faith should get deeper. Come on. Like, when did we get so scared of darkness? You know when the church thrived at its height? Under persecution. We live in the suburbs. <laughs> Come on. Yes, the world is getting dark. It's been dark. Let's pray. Let's seek the face of God because I believe 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Come on, when we turn our face towards Jesus, guess what happens? God heals our land. People dealing with suicide, people dealing with mental health, people dealing with depression, guess what? God heals it. Or did we stop believing scripture? Here's how I'll close. Here's how I'll close. Here's the third point, third movement of prayer. It's pursuit. Pursuit. John Wesley said, Prayer is the grand means of drawing near to God. It's the very breath of our spiritual life. In other words, we begin prayer with perspective, but prayer should always end in pursuit. This is how Jesus' lesson on prayer closes in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. It says this, for yours is the what? Kingdom the, and the, how long? Until 2024? <laughs> Until they start teaching wild stuff in the schools and we got to pay for private school? Like what? Does God still have dominion or not? Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and he's actually borrowing from, from King David when he says this. There's this moment when King David calls the entire kingdom together and, and he's letting them know that his son is going to build this beautiful temple and it was going to house the manifest presence of God. And as he's telling them this, like, listen, there's this, there's this temple that's going to be created and you're going you're to be able to worship God. He starts just lavishing praise on God. Jesus borrows this language from a passage of scripture when David is so passionate about the presence of God and he's so passionate about getting his people to worship with him. You're gonna see the words look almost identical in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Jesus is literally quoting David to end this prayer. It says this. It says, I know, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. I did the King James version for you folks who are old school. This is yours. Because growing up, you learned the, the Lord's prayer by saying, thine is the kingdom. You ever seen a four-year-old say thine? He said, thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Jesus is quoting David and he's asking the people, specifically his disciples, 
to have the same passion that David had for the presence of God. He sang in a quote that they would have definitely been familiar with, that you have to pursue the presence of God. The same God that David was praying to to find a home in the temple is the same God he's asking us to pray to to find a home, not in the temple, but in our hearts. Scripture says this is the new tabernacle. The same way David was praying that God showed up in the temple, we should be saying, God, no, show up in my home, show up in my life, show up in my job, show up in my marriage. God, show up in how I parent, show up in how I love the people around me. God, I'm pursuing your presence with such passion. Every single person around me, they're going to know something's different because I'm engaged in prayer. And yes, prayer begins with perspective, but it has to end in pursuit. Do we really want the presence of God? Or are we comfortable just showing up to church on weekends? Come on, do we really want to be devoted to the King of Kings? Or are we just looking to get a little bit better day by day? And hopefully when we die, we get to go visit the king in the sky. No. Do we want the presence of God? The purpose of prayer is that we find our lives immersed in the presence of God. We don't have to come to the temple to experience it. We should be celebrating on Sundays, but we should be experiencing and encountering Jesus on Monday. But are we pursuing him? In prayer? Or have we gotten complacent? There's story after story in history of of people who have prayed this type of fiery prayer and have seen revivals take over their nation. You got Jeremiah Lanfear in the late 1800s. Maybe you've heard of this story. He was a businessman in New York City and he couldn't get his immigrants' uh, neighbors to fall in love with Jesus. So instead, he just started a prayer meeting. And from the seeds of that movement, millions of Americans found hope in Jesus. Maybe you've heard of the Moravian revival or prayer movement. It was a a 24-7 prayer movement that lasted over 110 years. Countless missionaries sent out from from this prayer movement. Millions of people found hope in Jesus. And these things are incredible. But can I ask y'all something this morning? Is anybody else besides me tired of just hearing history lessons Like, does anybody else want to see God show up today? The 1800s were great, but does anybody want God to show up today in Houston, in our city? Like, does anybody else want to be passionate about the presence of God? So passionate that we can say, yours is the kingdom. God, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to read it the way that Eugene Peterson translates it in the message translation. Here's how he ends the Lord's prayer according to his study. It says this, you're in charge. It's not me. I gave you my needs, but God, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Or in other words, you can have me. Every piece, every part, I am wholly devoted to the kingdom. 
I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you walked in and your passions run a little low. Yeah, you love God. Yeah, you do your best to tithe and maybe you show up to a small group. But to be honest, you're not passionately pursuing the way of Jesus. You'd call it casual. Maybe you're here and you've been praying a similar prayer for a long time and you still haven't seen an answer. Keep praying. Because if God hasn't said no, you still got time. Keep praying. But my kids haven't come home yet. Keep praying. Are they dead? Keep praying. But my city hasn't changed. Okay. Has Jesus come back? Keep praying. But my marriage has been like this for 15 years. Okay. Are y'all still together? Keep praying for restoration. Does our city need justice? Does our city need to be fed? Do we need to fix the homeless problem? Yes, yes, yes. Before we start assessing the needs of our city, we got to take the posture of surrender. I don't know what you walked in here with this morning, but I'm done. And here's how I want to close. If you feel like God is pressing on your heart, that you need to take a step in your pursuit of Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to do something a little bit uncomfortable for so many people in such a beautiful room. And if you're watching next door in the other room, I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. If you want to see God move in your lifetime today, I want you to take the posture of pursuit. That means every person who wants that, who's passionate about the presence, maybe you're not right now, but you want to be, or maybe you are, it doesn't matter. All God's people, if you feel like today is a driving force in what God is doing in the future, I just want you right where you are, if you're able, to just get on your knees. Make an altar right here, right here, right now. Get on your knees. Lizzie's going to sing over us, but I don't want you to sing. I want you to say a personal prayer of passion and pursuit. And don't rush it. Yeah, the 11 o'clock has to get in in a minute. They'll wait. Experience the presence of God. Pursue his presence. And as she sings, would you just begin to ask God to fill you up? Right here. Right now.